You are listening to the Catholic Thinkers Podcast, a free treasury of instruction in the Catholic intellectual tradition. If you enjoy this lecture, please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate. This course is from our International Catholic University Classics Collection, originally recorded between 1995 and 2005. The subject of this lecture is the dignity of the human person. A recovery of the concept of regime, or politeia, as elaborated in the political philosophy of Plato and Aristotle, would help clarify the deep impact that the culture can have on the minds and hearts of all citizens, including Catholics. The regime is the whole political and social order. It refers to the moral taste, the style of life, the form of government, and the spirit of the laws. So understood, the regime is a crucial influence in the lives of most individuals. Only the few could escape its pervasive influence, such as philosophers and informed, committed Christians. With the emergence of Christianity, the regime is no longer necessarily as decisive in the lives of individuals. God's word and grace, mediated through the church, can be wholeheartedly embraced even in the midst of bad regimes. Yet experience shows that many Christians are unduly influenced by the regime, what we usually call the culture or the social conditions. Liberalism and liberal democracy inclined citizens to think about morality to a great degree in terms of rights or subjective values. This in turn leads to a fixation on choice and autonomy as ends in themselves and about the goods of the body, safety, health, pleasure, and prosperity. The liberal temper is anything but neutral in the moral tone it sets for its citizens. It supposedly encourages openness to all human possibilities but today's version of openness encourages not the pursuit of truth, but rather subservience to public opinion, a preoccupation with having things, and a reshaping of religion to suit the temper of the times. Liberal regimes dispose citizens to have an incomplete understanding of human dignity. Persons are said to have dignity because they are autonomous and are capable of making choices. According to the most common opinion in contemporary society, the dignity of the human person is especially secured by ensuring the protection of rights. The initial and primary emphasis on rights is, of course, a logical step since the autonomous exercise of choice requires the possession of rights. Another consequence of understanding dignity as constituted by human autonomy is linking the assessment of human dignity to a person's quality of life, especially the capacity to make autonomous choices. It is now commonly thought that a person's dignity diminishes with his or her declining quality of life. Physical and mental deterioration, as well as suffering, supposedly diminish human dignity. In Quill versus Vaco, 1997, the Second Circuit Court of Appeals even went so far as to make an ominous statement about legal obligations toward the terminally ill. Quote, the state's interest lessens as the potential for life diminishes, end quote. The presence of this statement in a decision of an appeals court surely indicates a trend toward regarding those persons with diminished physical capacity as less than fully human. 
Now, the liberal understanding of dignity is a challenge to the Catholic Church, both in the area of ordinary catechetics and Catholic social thought. Careful education is necessary for Catholics to understand that the dignity of the human person is not essentially constituted by the ability to make choices. According to Catholic teaching, people have dignity because they are created in the image and likeness of God, redeemed by Jesus Christ, and destined for eternal life in communion with God. As Vatican Council II put it, the principal cause of human dignity lies in the call of human beings to communion with God. Being created in the image of God and redeemed by Jesus Christ makes it possible for everyone to respond to God's invitation to communion with him. This threefold foundation for human dignity is both unshakable and instructive. No act of the human person can remove this foundation, even when people commit the worst sins and crimes and suffer diminished physical and spiritual capacities, they retain human dignity. While this Christian teaching about the permanent character of human dignity is often mentioned and acknowledged by informed Christians, rarely do Catholics hear that human dignity is also a goal or an achievement. Given the foundation of human dignity and the reality of sin, it logically follows that all will have to strive and strain to reach their ultimate goal, communion with the triune God. Christians continually achieve or realize their dignity by seeking the truth, resisting sin, practicing virtue, and repenting when they succumb to temptation. In other words, dignity is not only a permanent possession. There is a sense in which dignity is appropriated over a lifetime of living according to the fullness of truth. St. Leo the Great's famous Christmas sermon states this point in a memorable way. Quote, Christian, recognize your dignity. And now that you share in God's own nature, do not return by sin to your former base condition. It is significant that this quotation stands as the first sentence in the section on morality in the New Catechism of the Catholic Church. It immediately directs attention to the necessity of achieving human dignity by living without sin. Vatican II's pastoral constitution on the Church in the Modern World says that man achieves the dignity to which he is called when emancipating himself from all captivity to passion, he pursues his goal in a spontaneous choice of what is good and procures for himself through effective and skillful action at means to that end. Since man's freedom has been damaged by sin, only by the help of God's grace can he bring such a relationship with God to full flower. There is a disagreement, however, among Catholics about the proper understanding of human dignity. In Centesimus Annus, Pope John Paul II provides a perfect commentary on the subject of human dignity. He says, the guiding theme of Pope Leo's encyclical Rerum Novarum and of all the church's social doctrine is a correct view of the human person and of his unique importance inasmuch as man is the only creature on earth which God willed for itself. On the basis of faith and reason, the church proclaims the dignity of the human person. Everyone agrees that this is the correct view of the human person and the foundation of Catholic social teaching. But there are disagreements in the explanation of this key concept. Consider the following statements made by the U.S. bishops in 1990 and 1998. Quote, 
In a world warped by materialism and declining respect for human life, the Catholic Church proclaims that human life is sacred and that the dignity of the human person is the foundation of a moral vision for society and the foundation of all the principles of our social teaching. We believe that every person is precious, that people are more important than things, and that the measure of every institution is whether it threatens or enhances the life and dignity of the human person. Each person possesses a basic dignity that comes from God, not from any human quality or accomplishment, not from race or gender or age or economic status. End the bishop's quote. These statements point out important tenets of Catholic social teaching, but emphatically deny that human dignity is in any way a quality or an accomplishment. The bishops undoubtedly take this position in order to protect vulnerable human beings from being declared unworthy of respect or of the law's protection because of poor quality of life. The unborn child is particularly vulnerable because people can argue that it can't make choices and therefore lacks dignity. The bishops make a very good point, but this understanding of human dignity does not do justice to the full range of Catholic social teaching on the subject. The Catechism and Vatican Council II, as we observed, unambiguously teach that human dignity is not only a given, but also an achievement. In the Vatican Guidelines for the Study and Teaching of the Church's Social Doctrine and the Formation of the Faith, there are at least two statements that buttress my contention. The guidelines say that human advancement depends on ennobling the human person in all the dimensions of the natural and supernatural order, and that man's true dignity is found in a spirit liberated from evil and renewed by Christ's redeeming grace. In hearing of their dignity as persons, Christians should then think first of their duties toward God, their neighbor, and even toward themselves, and none of their rights or claims on other people. The quotations from the Catechism, Gaudium et Spes, and the guidelines alone indicate that the usual approach to human dignity in Catholic social teaching is both incomplete and erroneous in part. In other words, if human dignity is not only a given, but also a goal to be progressively realized, then the very keystone of Catholic social teaching is not accurately described and therefore not quite up to the task of informing the elaboration of other important themes in the discipline. For example, if human dignity is an achievement, then the family, mediating institutions, and the law all have a role to play in helping individuals to achieve their dignity. You know, everything that mothers and fathers do to enable their children to grow up, to become emotionally mature, to become spiritually mature, enhances their dignity. In later lectures, I will address this subject of how the mediating institutions help individuals achieve their dignity. A Catholic social teaching needs more clarity about its foundational principle and therefore must return to the basic questions. What is a person? And what is human dignity? Now, a good way to approach these subjects is to reflect on the primacy of receptivity in the achievement of human dignity. Many years ago, Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger alerted me to the theme of receptivity in his justly famous introduction to Christianity. He writes, 
From the point of view of the Christian faith, man comes in the profoundest sense to himself, not through what he does, but through what he receives or accepts. And one cannot become holy man in any other way than by being loved, by letting oneself be loved. Otherwise stated, Mary's fiat is the model for the person who wants to live as a Christian. Let it be done to me according to your word. Persons who desire to realize their dignity must be receptive to instruction, exhortation, and grace in the various communities in which they live. Especially important are the family, church, and school. But voluntary associations and even the law also play a role in creating and developing receptivity in people. In what may appear to be an unlikely source, I found further confirmation regarding human dignity as an arduous achievement in a community characterized by receptivity and exhortation. I'm referring to a short story by Agatha Christie entitled Wasp's Nest. It seems to be about the poisoning of a wasp's nest with potassium cyanide. It turns out that John Harrison discovers that he is terminally ill and devises a plan to poison himself in such circumstances that another man, Claude Langton, will surely be blamed for his death and hanged. The terminally ill man is suddenly overcome with a desire for revenge against Monsieur Langton, who has won the heart of his former fiancée, a woman he still loves. Hercule Poirot realizes what is happening and tries to make his old friend come to his senses and give up his desire to commit murder. Poirot advanced to his friend and laid a hand on his shoulder. So agitated was he that he almost shook the big man, and as he did so, he hissed into his ear, Rouse yourself, my friend, rouse yourself. And look, look where I am pointing. There on the bank, close by that tree root. See, the wasp returning home, plastered at the end of the day. In a little hour, there will be destruction, and they know it not. There is no one to tell them. They have not, it seems, a Hercule Poirot. John Harrison resists the instruction and exhortation. Poirot then finds a way to substitute washing soda for the poison and confronts his friend after the failed suicide. Harrison moans when he realizes that Poirot had thwarted his suicide and saved Langton from being hanged for murder. Harrison asks, why did you come? Why did you come? Poirot replies, of course, that he wanted to prevent the murder and then adds, listen, mon ami, you are a dying man. You have lost the girl you love, but there is one thing you are not. You are not a murderer. Tell me now, are you glad or sorry that I came? There was a moment's pause and Harrison drew himself up. There was a new dignity in his face, writes Agatha Christie, the look of a man who had conquered his own baser self. He stretched out his hand across the table. Thank goodness you came, he cried. Oh, thank goodness you came. This story is a nice example of the education and transformation of a person's disordered desire by the prudent behavior and exhortation of a friend. And of course, it's a story about the achievement of dignity. The receptivity of persons to instruction and exhortation is a most important element in the realization of dignity. The ultimate end of a Christian community is both to educate the faithful to the love of God and neighbor with their whole heart and soul and to be living witnesses to that love. 
If a person's dignity depends on growing in true love, then there should be no doubt that human dignity is both a given and an end. Now, what about human dignity and rights? In hearing of their dignity as persons, Christians should first think of their duties toward God, their neighbors, and even toward themselves, as we said, and not their rights or claims on other people. While respect for rights is crucial for the protection of persons, rights talk can be an obstacle to self-understanding when rights are not naturally placed in a teleological framework. For example, Vatican II's Declaration on Religious Liberty asserts that persons have the right to religious liberty in order to fulfill their duty to worship God. Gaudium et Spes, in a rarely quoted passage, says that rights are not properly understood unless the divine law guides people in the exercise of their rights. Here is the full text. Therefore, by virtue of the gospel committed to her, the church proclaims the rights of man. She acknowledges and greatly esteems the dynamic movements of today by which these rights are everywhere fostered. Yet these movements must be penetrated by the spirit of the gospel and protected against any appearance of false autonomy. For we are tempted to think that our personal rights are fully ensured only when we are exempt from every requirement of divine law. But this way lies not the maintenance of the dignity of the human person, but its annihilation. In other words, rights are not the primary moral counter. They are to be exercised in the light of the divine law and the natural law, and therefore cannot take priority over the education of the human person to virtue. In addition, citizens need a reason to respect the rights of others besides fear of punishment or self-interest. They need virtue. Catholic social teaching about the primacy of duty or virtue is actually a great contribution to the quality of life in a liberal regime. Virtuous citizens will always respect rights simply because it is the right thing to do. And not so that their rights will be respected. Since the public conversation about rights and dignity is mostly secular, many Catholics will not usually think of the truths of their faith when they hear the terms, the rights of the dying person or death with dignity. A fine catechesis could begin to change this mentality if informed by a knowledge of the secular philosophy undergirding the prevailing understanding of rights and human dignity in liberal society. Marianne Glendon's Abortion and Divorce in Western Law and Rights Talk provided an accessible count of the political philosophy behind Western laws regulating a number of matters besides abortion and divorce. I have noticed that typical American presentations of Catholic social thought rarely mention Pope Leo the Great's point, the dignity of the human person is a personal quality to be achieved by strenuous individual efforts to overcome sin and practice virtue. The usual paradigm is to argue that rights are due to persons because they have dignity. This, of course, is true, but incomplete, especially in today's climate. To omit teaching that human dignity is also an arduous achievement deprives Catholics of essential guidance in today's secular culture. The proper understanding of the person's dignity would help Catholics resist the rhetoric of the euthanasia movements and move them to appreciate Christian teachings on sin, virtue, suffering, declining quality of life, death, solidarity with the dying person. 
Christian dignity is a high calling toward which a person walks with the support of fellow Christians. The patristic theme of apectasis presents an accurate image of this reality. The patristic scholar Professor Ernest Fortin explains, the life of the soul as the church father's sword is characterized by unceasing progress, indeed, not just an ecstasis or going out of oneself, but an apectasis or perpetual going beyond oneself in the direction of an ever more perfect godlikeness, end quote. In Philippians 3, verses 12 to 14, St. Paul spoke in the same way. One thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Jesus Christ. Apectasis, of course, not only requires an individual effort, but also depends decisively on continuous instruction and exhortation in a Christian community. Dr. Leon Cass, who is chairman of the President's Council on Bioethics, recently published a book entitled Life, Liberty, and the Defense of Dignity, the Challenge for Bioethics. In this book, he presents the most common understanding of human dignity in the contemporary period, you know, that of Immanuel Kant. The German philosopher attempts to supply a foundation for universal human dignity by his doctrine of respect for persons. Cass explains, all persons or rational beings are deserving of respect, not because of some realized excellence or achievement, but because of a universally shared participation in morality and the ability to live under the moral law. This is the view that persons have dignity because they can reason and make choices. While Cass applauds Kant's efforts and his influence on promoting the respect for persons in contemporary canons of ethics, he finally judges Kant's view of human dignity as inhuman. Quote, precisely because it dualistically sets up the concept of personhood in opposition to nature and body, it fails to do justice to the concrete reality of our embodied lives, lives of begetting and belonging no less than willing and thinking. Precisely because personhood is distinct from our lives as embodied, rooted, connected, and aspiring beings, the dignity of rational choice pays no respect at all to the dignity we have through our loves and longings, central aspects of human life, understood as grown togetherness of body and soul. Not all human dignity consists in reason or freedom. End quotation. Under the influence of Kant, even many Catholics look at human dignity simply as a given and not also as an achievement of a person who avoids serious sin, loves his family, friends, and neighbor, and seeks to realize communion with God. Catholics rightly look to God's creation of man and his image and likeness as the foundation of dignity, but then fail to see that living in accord with God's image is the way of realizing their dignity in their everyday life. Perhaps Cass's philosophical explanation of dignity may help Catholics understand the teaching of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, Vatican II's Gaudium et Spes, and on human dignity as an achievement in addition to being in an inalienable given. One example that Cass gives to see what his notion of dignity as achievement means can be found in his reflections on euthanasia. He says that death with dignity depends 
not on the legalization of euthanasia, but on the way one has lived, with virtue or not, and faces death, and by the way one is treated by friends, relatives, doctors, and nurses. Of course, patients should not be tortured by useless treatments and should receive as much pain medication as they need. Their dignity demands as much. But withdrawal of contact, affection, and care, says Cass, is probably the greatest single cause of the dehumanization of dying. Death with dignity requires absolutely that the survivors treat the human being at all times as if full godlikeness remains up to the very end. I think that full godlikeness does remain despite the failure of cognitive and physical capacities. Last year, at this time, I was privileged to witness the care of the University of Scranton's Reverend William Hill, who was confined to a hospital bed with much diminished capacities for about three months before his death. His sister and brother Jesuits faithfully cared for him on a daily basis, ennobling themselves by their efforts and sustaining the elderly priest in his courageous and serene acceptance of decline and death. The dignity of patient, sister, and fellow Jesuits which was much in evidence up till the very end. The kind of virtue displayed in Father Hill's hospice room won't see the light of day if patients are allowed and encouraged to end their lives with the permission of the state in order to realize their dignity. At any rate, as Cass says, we must never allow ourselves to relieve our own frustrations and bitterness over the lingering deaths of others by pretending that we can kill them to sustain their dignity. Cass fully realizes that he is proposing an elevated conception of dignity for patients, relatives, and caretakers. He nevertheless remains convinced that the right kind of rearing and education can persuade and motivate people to act according to their dignity, that is to say, their higher natures. In truth, he says, if we know how to look, we find evidence of human dignity all around us in the valiant efforts ordinary people make to meet necessity, to combat adversity and disappointment, to provide for their children, to care for their parents, to help their neighbors, to serve their country. Death with dignity in its most important sense would mean a dignified attitude and virtuous conduct in the face of death. Think of the firemen and the policemen who gave up their lives on 9-11 in order to save their fellow human beings they were achieving their dignity by that sacrifice. Now this way of looking at dignity is much truer to life than that proposed by Kant, who wants to emphasize that dignity rests on autonomy and the ability to make choices. In our next lecture, we will reflect on the meaning of the common good in the light of what we have said about the dignity of the human person as not only a given, but as an achievement. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed listening to Catholic Thinkers. Please visit us at catholicthinkers.org forward slash donate to help us keep this content free.